Hello, and welcome to Biohacking with Brittany. I am thrilled that you are listening. This is a place where I talk all about health and wellness and biohacking and nutrition and all sorts of stuff like that. I appreciate you listening every single week. I notice it means a lot when you leave your reviews and you send me messages when you've listened to my podcast episodes. That's my favorite. And yeah, I'm just really thankful for this community that has grown. And if you're new here, welcome. There are so many podcast episodes. I say that. I think there's like 175. You know, maybe that's not that much compared to some of these like really massive podcasts. But when you're now producing, like I produce two a week, it is significant. So there's so many topics that we cover. And I really enjoy talking about holistic health and kind of my own health journey and even my own career and business and where things are going. And I just like to keep it super relatable and easygoing and not super intense, I guess, like some of the other podcasts out there in the health space. So thank you for listening and your feedback is always welcome. Feel free to leave a review, send me a message as always, and I read all of them and they mean a lot to me. This episode was so fun. Honestly, I don't say that about a lot of episodes, but this one was a lot of fun because I got to talk to Dr. Mark and he is known as the fertility expert. He's really big on YouTube. He, I think he has over a quarter million followers and or subscribers. And I love everything that he talks about. And we just had the such an easy conversation. We talked about fertility, infertility for men and women. We talked about PCOS. We talked about hormone levels and biohacks and supplements and nutrients and everything that he kind of recommends people do to really optimize this time in their life. And so it was super insightful. He has, you know, had his practice for 20 years and he is very, very educated in this space. So it was awesome to hear everything that he had to say. So we actually went through some of my labs on this episode, like live, and I don't think he knew I was going to do that. I actually didn't even plan on doing that, but we started talking about the type of tests you need to do in order to kind of assess your fertility levels. And so I brought some of mine up and it was interesting because we started talking about PCOS and mild PCOS, which is, I guess, what I would have or have. And it was really insightful because I, to be honest, I don't see a lot of people talking about it. And I've said this before, there seems to be this like picture of what PCOS is for girls or women. And, you know, there's a lot of metabolic issues going on, hormonal imbalances, gut health issues happening, irregular cycles, cysts in your ovaries, that type of thing. And it's interesting because there's some of that that I have and there's some that I don't have. And it was just awesome to talk to him, an actual expert about this and hear what he has to say. And some of the things that we talked about was the how birth control kind of impacts this. And it's kind of frustrating because I went on birth control at 16 and I didn't know any better. At the time, I guess, was starting to be sexually active 
And I think I made the best decision that I wanted to at the time. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. Had I had known that it would low-key cause mild PCOS years later, I don't think that I would have made that decision. So I was on a less, which is like a low progesterone oral contraceptive. And I don't know if it's still around. I'm assuming it is, but I was on that for, I think, I think it was a year, maybe it was two years. And then I had an IUD for five years. I had the Marina IUD, which is a, again, a low progesterone IUD. Now, so I came off birth control at like, let's say there's some gaps in there of like being on and off. I think I came off at like maybe 25, 24, something like that. And I think in total, I was on birth control for about seven years. And I remember being 24 and thinking, holy smokes, I have been on this for seven years and I'm 24. This is insane. This is insane. And at 24, 25, I definitely did not want a kid at the time either, but it felt like why on earth is this feeling like this is the only solution to this problem of potentially getting pregnant? Anyway, it's just frustrating because I wish I had known better back then, partly my fault, partly the fault of the medical system here in Canada, the lack of education, the push to use birth control all the time. Like if you have acne, cystic acne or irritable or you're irritated or like mood swings or whatever you might have, it's really frustrating to think that birth control is just the automatic recommendation from a doctor. And so I would never touch birth control again. (laughs) Now, so I, and I've talked about this, I track my cycle through natural cycles. It's an app and I take my temperature every morning and I input it into the app. So it combines the temperature tracking method with technology. It predicts when you're going to ovulate, predicts when your period's coming. As somebody who has irregular cycles, it's helpful, but I'm sure it's super great for people who are super regular. That's just not my situation. And I've been doing that ever since I came off birth control. So the really cool thing about it is that because I've stuck to it, I have so much data on my menstrual cycle since the age of 24, 25. And I turn 30 in a few months. So that data is huge to look back and be like, okay, at 25, I was having this many cycles and this is how many times I ovulated. And this was the average day days for the follicular phase or the luteal phase. It was really, it's just really helpful to have that now when I'm thinking about fertility, preconception, trying to have a kid and what that is all going to look like. So I'm really grateful for that. I wish that I had just done that at 16. I wish I knew more at 16 that like you can't get pregnant every single day or that you can only get pregnant when you ovulate and you could find out when you ovulate by tracking your temperature. And that's how you can avoid that situation. Like, I just wish I knew more than I do right now. And if you're listening to this and you're on birth control, really like think about if it's worth it. It definitely has a time and place in society. And I don't 
think that we should just get rid of it. Of course not. But I would really, really think about the long-term impact on your body and your health. Because even if you come off of birth control and you're like me, and then five years later, you're like, okay, now I'm going to start trying for a kid. And the doctor says, oh yeah, it's out of your system now. There's no more hormones. There's no more synthetic hormones. Like it can't be anything related to that. But in actuality, if you're on it for seven years and you've suppressed this hormonal cycle that is supposed to happen and you come off of it and you just expect your body to go back to normal and then be able to get pregnant and have a healthy pregnancy and all of these things, like it just feels a little uh, simplistic to think that that's how it's going to happen. So I really encourage people who are listening, who are on birth control to think about it and think about if it's worth it because you don't know if it's going to cause PCOS for you. You don't know if it's going to cause other issues for you down the line. And at the end of the day, you can't like, it's not like I can sit here and be like, okay, birth control is the number one reason that I got PCOS. Like there's no way to correlate that. There's I'll never be able to say this is the solid reason as to why this has happened. However, it is definitely a contributing factor. So if you are able to not be on birth control and your circumstances allow it, you definitely want to get rid of that contributing factor to PCOS and other things in general, right? This is just one health condition that we're talking about. There's so many other things like there's fibroids and endometriosis and even later on in life, like that's what I was thinking about is like, okay, how does birth control and mild PCOS, like what does that mean for me later when I go through perimenopause and menopause or have other shifts in my life? Like it's just one of those things that, yeah, I just, I don't know. I wish I knew better and it's frustrating to look back at it and think about it. And especially because around the age of 17 was really when I started to look at my health and make these healthier decisions and was when I started seeing a naturopath and really got into gut health and all these other things. And so I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this tangent. I would just be cautious. The other thing I was thinking is like, I, and I talk about this in this episode, I was on I like multiple rounds of antibiotics as a kid for sinus infections, which led to gut health issues in my teenage years. But then in my teenage years, I went on birth control and, and then I came off of it in my 20s. And now that decision led to mild PCOS. And also there is a link between the gut malfunctioning and issues with the gut and PCOS. So now I'm thinking, okay, this is my reality at this age. What does this all mean for 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Like, how does this cascade of effects continue? And it's honestly just a very, very motivating train of thought because then I'm like, okay, I just want to be as healthy as I can right now to keep PCOS in remission, to keep my gut healthy so that whatever possibly could come down the line, maybe won't now because of these decisions I'm making today. So that's my TED talk (laughs) for you about that. A important note that I do want to talk about is the testing that I talk about in this 
So there's two tests that I did. One was through my gynecologist and that was a blood test done at a lab. The other one was through Inside Tracker. So Inside Tracker comes to your house. They test a whole bunch of like hormones, minerals, and vitamin levels for you. They're fantastic. And I will link them in the show notes for you because I really think a lot of us should be doing this, especially if you feel like you want to have a kid somewhat soon or you will have symptoms that you don't understand, or maybe your cycle is irregular. Maybe you do have PCOS or endometriosis. And so I recommend looking into getting tested so that you can understand what's going on and you're, you stop kind of guessing, right? You think, oh, maybe I have high estrogen or estrogen dominance. So I'm going to take this supplement, but it's like, let's actually get some numbers and some data so that you can make more of an informed decision. And Inside Tracker is one of the best ways to do that. I will link it in the show notes. You can use my discount code BiohackingBrittany to get 20% off of everything. And a shout out to Bioptimizers. I love their magnesium. It's probably one of my favorite products that they have. They have magnesium powders now. And I tried this at the Biohacking Conference in June and I loved it. So magnesium, we are all so deficient in magnesium. Our soil is depleted. Our produce is depleted in it. It's not what it once was. So I really do think like supplementing with magnesium is necessary. And you can tell actually the people who are low in magnesium when you talk to them. Like these are the people who are very stressed, tired, but wired in the mornings or at night. I guess that's the big one at night is like tired, but wired. People who are frantic or irritable, like all of these like intense moods, typically it's you really need to be calming down the nervous system, being more grounded. And one of the best ways to do that is through magnesium. And you can also tell like, so when you take too much magnesium, your stools will become very loose. So that's how you can kind of even gauge your threshold is by starting with maybe one or two a day maybe you up it to three and then you have loose stools and you're like, okay, so maybe two is my max. Like you can very much gauge it like that. So try that. That's what I would recommend. That's bioptimizers. They're going to be linked in the show notes as well. My discount code as well is biohacking Brittany for them and enjoy this podcast episode. Definitely one of my favorites and definitely check out Dr. Mark. He is known as the fertility expert on YouTube. And I will put that on the website for you as well. Welcome to Biohacking with Brittany. I am so excited that you are joining this week. Today, we are diving into one of my absolute favorite topics, which is fertility, preconception, pregnancy, everything to do with that, as this is kind of where my own health journey is going. And so I love having guests on the show who are experts in this space and know way more information than I do. And today is definitely not an exception. So I have Dr. Mark Sklar on the podcast with me. He is huge on YouTube. He's known as the fertility expert. He has over 19 years of experience helping countless couples overcome infertility. He's also a doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine and certified in mind-body medicine by Harvard Medical School. So welcome to the show, Dr. Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And I, I, I'm not sure I knew that this was a such an exciting topic for you. So that makes this conversation even more exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think I got connected with your team because 
I was creating a bunch of content on Instagram about like fertility and preconception. And I think they found me through that. Anyway, that's my hypothesis, but I'm like so excited to have you on the show. So how, like, tell us about your journey and how did you become the fertility expert? Yeah. You know, the, it's funny how I got into this specific specialty. Yeah. I was always a fan of women's health and fertility peripherally was something that interested me. But when I first treated my first patient who had polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. And that really changed my life. I mean, she, as much as I helped her have two kids, she, I don't think she realizes how impactful she was in my life because that moment when she told me that first time when she said, well, actually she didn't even say she was pregnant. I'm the one who told her she was pregnant. She didn't even realize she was pregnant. She thought she was missing her period again. And that, that her PCOS was acting up and I told her to go take a pregnancy test and she came back and we saw that it was positive and we both celebrated together. But that moment really changed things for me because it made me realize how impactful this medicine is and what we can do to support couples to grow their families. And I don't think there's really anything more special than allowing a couple to have children and keep their family lineage growing. So that really, that moment really changed my life forever and kind of pushed me down this path that I'm not sure if I would have ended up here anyway, but that was the spark for me. Yeah, no, that makes sense. A lot of the time it's through working with clients and there's kind of like an emotional response and then you're like, oh yeah, maybe I should actually pursue this further. So I think that's really cool. And then you started your YouTube channel. I think it was like 2014 was when you started, right? Yeah, it's been almost almost 10 years and that kind of happened a little bit by accident or certainly not planned to be doing what I'm doing right now. I started it really just to educate the patients that that I was seeing and I was repeating myself frequently on some of these key points and topics and so I said to myself, "Well, let me just create some videos, put it on YouTube and then I can just point them there." And what ended up happening kind of took a life of its own where couples and women from all over the world started contacting me, asking me how they can work with me and what they could do to improve their fertility. And so that's where I started creating a, an online program to really coach and support couples going through their fertility journeys wherever they are in the world. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's like the power of social media and the power of right. the internet is actually yeah. it's actually great for this circumstance, right? Like it's great to be able to empower and educate people who you would never necessarily get to meet in person. So I think that's really cool. So for people who, you know, kind of like myself, I'm in a preconception stage right now. My partner and I were doing like a preconception cleanse and I am a nutritionist and a, a biohacker, obviously. So I know a lot about this, but for people who are maybe past this point and maybe they've been trying for a while and they're unsuccessful, what tests do you like to recommend and what are the optimal ranges that you like to see when they get those tests? Yeah, great questions. I, I want to first start off and acknowledge and kind of applaud you for being proactive, you know, you and your partner for being proactive on this preconception phase, because I find that all too many couples do not do what you're doing. And it's super valuable and helpful and really just makes the process so much better and hopefully easier moving forward. So I, I love that. And I love to hear that you've started that and taking care of yourselves and, and so forth. I wish more couples did it. But, but to that point, about the labs, we if you've been trying for a while, 
you haven't been successful. And I do recommend people try at home. Like don't just automatically assume that fertility is going to be a problem. Hopefully it's not. And you can just want, when you start trying that you can get pregnant and you do need to give yourself a little bit of time anywhere from six to 12 months. I would say the caveat to that is if you know you've already had some either hormonal issues, reproductive issues, maybe even some health issues historically that may impact your fertility and reproductive function, maybe we don't wait as long in those circumstances and we do we are a little bit more proactive to get care and support sooner so that we can get those results faster. But otherwise I do encourage couples to try. But once you've been trying then, and we haven't been successful, then we want to start to gather a little bit more information and dive a little bit deeper. And I think in those situations, what ends up happening is we end up focusing on just a a few number of labs or hormones. And I think most of us really need to be looking beyond that to gather more information. So the basic foundational labs we want to be testing are going to be FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone, LH, luteinizing hormone, estradiol or E2, you might see, you know, in documents, and then AMH or anti-malarian hormone. So those are probably the four that get talked about the most. So I'll start there. AMH is a number that theoretically reflects ovarian reserve. So how many eggs we have left. And we want that number to be as high as we can get it within reason. So depending on your age, we want that anywhere between one and let's say three and a half. The, the next one would be FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone, and this is a hormone that specifically or more specifically reflects egg quality, and the levels change for this hormone as you progress through your cycle. So I like to have everyone do these labs on cycle day two, three, or four, assuming that day one is the first day of bleed. And, and you might hear that AMH can be done at any time of the cycle, which is theoretically true. I find it's most accurate if it's done on cycle day two, three, or four with the others. And, and so with FSH, what we're looking for is that it's somewhere between five and 10. And FSH can't be looked at individually. It needs to be looked at in conjunction with both LH and estradiol. So ideally, we want LH, which is the hormone that rises and peaks and releases the egg at ovulation. Ideally, we want this number to be equal to your FSH reading. Now, it's very rare to see them be exactly one-to-one, but close enough is what we're looking for. And then lastly, the estradiol or E2, we want, we're looking at that in relationship to FSH as well. So in general, we want that number to be somewhere between, and this is the ideal range. We could expand it a little bit beyond that, but ideally somewhere between 40 and 70. I will go as far as like 25 and 80, depending on the circumstances, but we don't want it too low and we don't want it too high. And and FSH and estradiol work in a feedback loop with one another. So if estradiol is too high, it will suppress FSH and lower it unnecessarily. And if FSH is rising, then it might suppress estradiol a little bit and your body will naturally try to balance it out by raising estradiol to lower FSH. And so those are the core hormone labs that we like to look at. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to read you my labs because I, (laughs) just because I just got tested with this cycle that I just had, like I'm talking like two weeks ago. Um, And, and so I think, but I'm in Canada. So I think some of the units that we use to measure are not necessarily the same as you in the States, but we'll see. So 
this was day three of my cycle because my I gynecologist recommended the same thing. Like I think it was between day two and day seven, maybe something like that, that I had to get this done. So my FSH was 8.4 IUs per liter. Is that right? I Yeah. And then my LH is 6.9 IUs per liter. So that's quite that's a difference. Right. Okay. No, I would actually say that's, so that's where that like roughly close to one-to-one. I could totally live with that. So go ahead. And then the estradiol is 65 P mole per liter. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And then my AMH is P mole per liter, but is that what you measure yours in? No. So go, I'm, I actually just pulled up a converter. A converter. So if you tell me what it is, I'll tell okay. you what I see. So mine is 47.2 P moles per liter. Yeah. You're like, he said no higher than three. Uh, yeah. It's like, I don't think we're measuring the same units. <laughs> so that, so it's high. It comes back to 6.6. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? Yeah, I'm 29. 29. You're probably okay. The biggest thing that an elevated AMH level shows us or can indicate is polycystic ovarian syndrome or a variation of it. So anything, anytime we get over three and a half, then I want to start to rule that out. And you're probably, just from the brief conversation that you and I have interacted with, you're probably not a typical PCOS individual, but you might be an atypical. And about 50% of the couples that I work with with PCOS are atypical. Yeah. So you're like spot on. I started seeing this like fertility uh, or gynecologist in 2020. And that's kind of when I had this exposure to the idea that I might have PCOS. But then I went like down a massive rabbit hole of like understanding it and looking at the labs and the symptoms and everything. And so much of it I don't have. But then when you look at my AMH level, it's like, okay, you have a higher follicle count and I do get cysts on my ovaries. So I do have these two things, but like some of the other things, like my insulin levels are fine and normal. Like I can read them to you as well. So it's interesting with PCOS because it makes me question like, should I be trying for a kid right now? Or am I healthy enough that I can wait a little bit? And it's kind of like this song and dance, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, well, you said your insulin levels were okay. I'm assuming A1C was fine. And how about your androgens, testosterone, DHEA? Yeah. Sorry. I just have to reload it. Let's see what it says. That's okay. It's never been high. Let me see. Okay. So what did you ask for testosterone? Let's see. Testosterone and DHEA. I have my insulin fasting on my cholesterol stuff. Oh, okay. Maybe it's on a different test. I'm going to have to find it. Let okay. me, yeah. So sometimes it's not looked at, although it sounds like your OB was on it. So they should have tested it. Typically what we'll find is either blood sugar will be elevated or, or androgens will be, even if it's slightly, will be elevated. If you don't, yeah, and if you don't have both, if you don't have either of them, then, you know, then you definitely have a more mild case of uh, PCO. So my, my blood sugar, so we did my glucose fasting and it was 4.2 moles per liter. We did my H hemoglobin A1C, which was really, was 5.0%, which is good. And yeah, I'm just pulling out my other testosterone. Do you have a certain time during your menstrual cycle that you like women to get their testosterone tested? I tend to test all of those on day two, three, or four with the others. It, I just find it to be easier and 
there's less question. Yeah. The only other time where I will test androgens differently than that is when I do a Dutch test, which we do in the second half of the cycle in the luteal phase. And, and so, yeah, so I would just do that at a different time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. I have my testosterone. I know we're getting like into the weeds of my blood work here, but I had it tested. I don't think this was during my follicular phase. I have a feeling this was during the luteal phase. It was 37.5 NGs per DL. And did they ever test your DHEA? Yes. It, this was in May. It was 269. Yeah. So your testosterone is both are in normal range. I don't think your I think your DHEA is fine. Maybe I would try to lower your your testosterone just a bit. I mean also just depending on what your free testosterone levels may have looked like as well. But this might be a reason to say we dive a little bit deeper to just understand some of those nuances for you and your situation and and typically for someone who has PCOS I would actually ask to order a Dutch test which is a dried urine hormone profile. And just allows us to look a little bit deeper at that information. And that would actually help me determine how to move forward with care for you. Yeah, maybe I'll get one of those ordered and like talk to the company as well. Because yeah, most of the testing I've ever done has been blood. But I'd be curious about the dried urine test to see what it comes back and says. Yeah, it's a great test and I highly recommend it. But, you know, knowing you're, knowing everything you're doing, you're very much into nutrition and taking care of yourself you've probably set yourself up well because you've supported your body appropriately that if it was going to teeter and go in the wrong direction, you've pulled it back and harnessed it. And that's wonderful to see. Whereas others who may not have been in the same situation as you and had that opportunity, we might see a completely different uh, situation when we ran their labs at this point. No. Yeah. That, that makes sense. It's kind of just like keeping it at bay. And there's a lot, as you know, like there's a lot you can do. Like I do acupuncture twice a month, which has really helped with my cycle. And it's, it's interesting though. Like I, I don't know what causes mild PCOS, even when you're so healthy and like you exercise and get into nature and you're aware of EMF and you're on the right supplements, like all of these things, like it's still, it's like, and there's no history of it in my family either. So I'm like, where did this come from? I don't know. What do you think about the origins of mild PCOS? I tend to look back at when you were a teenager and when you were going through puberty. And to me, that's typically when things happen. So my question back to you would have been, were you active and playing sports early on, an adolescent and into high school? Yeah, I I was pretty active. What did you play? uh, I played soccer, but like nothing like extreme, you know? Okay. Yeah. So it's hard to know, but sometimes some of us just don't need a huge push in that direction. Maybe it was just the timing in which some of those things happened. Maybe you were, were you always as careful with your health as you are now when you were younger? Like were your parents that way as well? No, no. definitely not. And yeah. And, and so were you ever on birth control? As a, uh, Yeah. As a for, yeah. For way too long. Yeah. Yeah. So you're on birth control as a teenager. You're exercising, maybe not too much. Maybe the diet and lifestyle were also a little bit off and you just, you don't need a ton of things if you're already leaning in that direction. And I find those are the things that really push us and the birth control could have been the final straw. Yeah. That makes me so angry, (laughs) but it's not the time and place for this, but I, yeah, I, 
you know, I was 16 and I didn't know better. And I, I don't know, am I to blame? Is the medical system to blame? Who knows? Probably a bit of both. But yeah, it just, it's, you're so young and you're, and birth control is recommended, as you know, for so many things. And it's just so ridiculous how quickly you can go on it. And then years later, you're dealing with mild PCOS and women are struggling to get pregnant in their thirties. And it's like, who is, who told me this, you know? No, I mean, because the misunderstanding, and I know we're going, we're diverging a little bit, but the misunderstanding is that as teenagers, the education we get is you look at your boyfriend and you're going to get pregnant. So be careful, right? Like you can't even touch them unless you're on birth control and then you don't have to worry so much. So it's a really, it, the education is really the issue here. It needs to start much earlier and change. Yeah, no, it really does. I also had like a bunch of gut health problems when I was a kid. I was on antibiotics a lot. I feel like that probably played a role into things. Again, there's no shame towards my parents. Like they did the best they could with their information. But looking back on how many rounds of antibiotics I did in the first like 12 years of my life is like astounding. So it was very common back then. And you're absolutely right. Our parents just did the best they can. And we do the best we can with our kids. But Look, we hopefully we learn and we grow and we understand things a little bit better to make better choices. But your gut is a big thing. And I I will say we haven't touched on it. But with a lot of fertility issues, especially PCOS, I do find digestive issues is a huge component that I need to address and clean up with a lot of them. So what do you what type of gut health issues do you associate with PCOS or even just like fertility issues in general? I'll see a lot of overgrowth of yeast, unwanted bacteria, not enough good, healthy bacteria, a lot of dysbiosis. So kind of those are the big things. Recently, I found someone had a parasite. That doesn't happen too often. And I don't even know when they got it, quite frankly. But but that's not typical in, in our evaluations. Yeah. Right. So when like say somebody presents with dysbiosis, maybe some leaky gut, maybe some candida, what do you recommend for that? Oh, we got to clean it all up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So the first thing is we have to change lifestyle and diet dramatically there. We really have to reduce the amount of sugar intake, carb intake, the type of oils and foods they're cooking with. Like for some, it's easier. For others, it's a huge shift. And then I put them on a candida protocol that takes about two months to clear up. I don't typically address the leaky gut too much, at least in the first month, maybe even two, depending on the circumstances. And we'll kind of factor that in afterwards. I like to clear first and then rebuild when it's necessary. So that's, you know, yeah, that's really how I would, how would I, how I would approach it. But I have a protocol with supplements. There are some like the, someone could take medication for it. I have found that even though they do, it doesn't typically always address it. So my preference is to opt for the natural route. The time where we might use a combination or opt for the other is if time is really an issue, because theoretically that speeds things up, although it doesn't always. But my preference is to do it a more natural way. Yeah, absolutely. So do you recommend like antifungals or antifungal herbs in terms of like the cleansing part? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll use some of the tests that I run actually will test the herbs or nutrients against the yeast. 
And so where I would have thought maybe, oh, grapeseed extract and oregano oil, like I'll rotate. So oregano oil, grapefruit seed extract, colloidal silver, uva ursi, or whatever else, sometimes those won't work for that specific individual. And the, one of the reports that I use tells me that. So then I can adjust the plan accordingly and give them a more personalized plan based on their circumstances there. But yes, in general, antifungals, uh, natural antifungals are great. I do like to use some biofilm busters with that as well. And then we have to use good bacteria. So I'm always using two to three different types of probiotics as part of that protocol as well. Yeah, no, I, I love that. It's really important to look at this, like, uh, I mean, ideally during like preconception time, but obviously also when you're, I guess, trying, because like once you, once you are pregnant, like, or postpartum or breastfeeding, cleansing and detoxing is like not recommended. And you're not going to want to do any type of antibacterial, antifungal, anything. So it's so interesting to hear about this because it's like, really, you do want to spend time cleaning everything up as much as you can before you even start trying. Are you tired of feeling out of sync with your body's natural rhythm? Do you struggle with menstrual cycle related issues like fatigue, mood swings, and bloating? If you're looking to optimize your health and well-being, look no further than the ebb and flow cycle guide. This comprehensive guide is designed to help you better understand and work with your menstrual cycle so you can improve your energy levels, reduce PMS symptoms, and gain a deeper understanding of your body. With in-depth information on each phase of the menstrual cycle, you'll learn how to adjust your diet, exercise routine, and self-care practices to better align with your body's needs. One of the biggest benefits of the Ebb and Flow Cycle Guide is its user-friendly format. The guide is easy to follow and provides clear instructions on how to optimize your health throughout each phase of your cycle. Plus, it's packed with valuable information and insights that you won't find anywhere else. So whether you're a seasoned biohacker or you're just starting out, the Ebb and Flow Cycle Guide is the perfect tool to help you optimize your health and live in harmony with your body's natural rhythm. And with my expertise and guidance, you can trust that you're getting the best information and advice available. So why wait? Head over to biohackingbrittany.com to get your copy of the Ebb and Flow Cycle Guide and start living your best life today. Yeah. And I had this conversation yesterday and today with two different individuals because one actually found heavy metals. And we definitely, you cannot be trying during that. But I always tell everyone, we, we've got to clean things up. We've got to re kind of press the reset button. And this sort of detox, whether it's for candida or heavy metals or whatever it might be, is part of that reset. And we need a little bit of time. And it's not safe to conceive during that time. You know, we don't want to expose the fetus to those sorts of toxins. So you really want to give yourself some space and time to do that. You know, three months, six months, whatever you're able to put into that is really ideal in that situation. Yeah, exactly. What do you think about infrared saunas for this type of thing? I like it a lot. And I'm actually finding myself recommending it much more recently, especially as I'm dealing with a lot more environmental chemicals and toxins in couples. That's something I lean on quite a bit. I don't lean on it as much for candida, although I don't think it would be harmful in any way. I mean, infrared sauna is great. I just try to be mindful of all the things I'm asking them to do. And sometimes (laughs) it's just, you know, it can be overwhelming. 
but but I am recommending it quite a bit recently for for couples who are were finding a lot of environmental toxins. I'm finding a lot of glyphosate and pesticides in in individuals like really really high numbers. And so aside from some nutrients to detoxify, I think the and limiting exposure obviously then the sauna is really ideal in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, ideally the, like you kind of attack it from multiple angles, like is my kind of approach for these types of things, but it's also like what you have access to, what you can afford. And there's all these other barriers as well. How do you test people for a candida? I do a stool test. I don't personally do a stool test. I send them a kit and, say, and tell them to send it to the lab. But yeah, I usually do it through a stool test. You can also do it through an organic acid test as well. But typically, if they if they have some digestive issues, I want to see a lot more information from the gut perspective specifically. So that's when I will use, and that's why I prefer to start with the stool test. Stool test, yeah. And do you use like a company like Viome or is it like a different company that you use for that? No, different company. They're labs for profe- for healthcare professionals. And I know Viome. I don't know that Viome can test to the degree that what we're looking for because they're more focused on the microbiome specifically. So yeah, so I've got three or four different companies that I use. Smart. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to look further into that. So, let's talk about egg quality. I am super interested in this, but actually I have a question for you. I was thinking about this I've heard such, I've started to hear mixed things about this. I think there's a lot of people out there who think you're born with the eggs and those are the eggs that you have. And like, that seems to be the main narrative. But now I've started to hear that you actually can potentially make new eggs later in life. Like, where do you stand on that? And like, what science and information do you know? I love, I love this question. I really only heard the last part, I think, because I I got excited to buy it. But egg quality is something that we, when we start talking about fertility in general, everything that someone reads and sees is all going to be about egg quality. And the misunderstanding and misnomer is really about this education that all fertility issues are female-related and all female fertility issues are egg quality. And that is not the case. So regardless of how old you are, and I have countless stories of this in cases, egg quality is not always the situation. And so that's the first thing I want to mention as we start talking about egg quality is that it's not always the problem. Second is, if it is, there's a lot that can be done about it. There's a lot that you personally can do to support and improve your egg quality. Now, you asked a different question, which was about basically ovarian reserve, like you're born, the education we've gotten is that we're born with, or I say we, and I've gotten comments that like, you're not a woman, why do you say we? But this is the way I talk. So that women are born with all the eggs that they will ever have. And that number can never go down. It can never go up, it only goes down. Well, what I can tell you is, is if AMH is an indicator for ovarian reserve and is theoretically testing how many eggs we have left, then that number should never rise. It should only go up. And what I can tell you is I've seen that number go up all the time. So either AMH is not an accurate number for ovarian reserve, or it doesn't test exactly what we think it is, which I think is probably a combination of both those things, 
or women can improve and create new eggs, new eggs or cells in their ovaries that will create new follicles and eggs. And I think it's probably a combination of all three of those things. Why, of all places in our body, why would our ovaries not be able to reproduce and create new cells that would create new follicles and eggs? To me, it just doesn't make any sense. And the reality is, is that the research that we are seeing, and if I would have had it, if I would have known we were talking about this, I would have had some research in front of me, so I apologize. But I have looked at it, the research slowly starting to come out and more and more in recent years to show exactly that, that women can produce and create new eggs, right? If we just keep it in that simple term. So that should be really encouraging to everybody listening, because that means you can do something about it, that there is an opportunity to improve your ovarian reserve. Now, will that always improve or will it always improve enough to do what we needed to do naturally? Maybe not. But I think what that starts to tell somebody is that there is an opportunity, there is hope, there is a chance for you to actually be proactive and take hold of your fertility and really make change. And this is something that's really, really exciting to me. I think what needs to happen now in relationship to that is all the fertility doctors need to stop telling people that this can't happen because they're telling women the wrong information. And so there's a misunderstanding that this can't happen. And then women believe that, oh, this will never happen. So you know, I won't even open up my mind to something like this, which is just not the case. You know, I love gathering data on myself. And I think this is so important as a biohacker, nutritionist, and just wellness advocate. I don't like making decisions based off of just guessing and my intuition only, but I like to have data as well to really guide me and help me make the most sense of what is going on in my body on a cellular level. That is why I test with Inside Tracker every single quarter or more, to be honest, and I love all of the information they provide. It is an at-home blood test. They come, they take a look at over 45 different biomarkers, including minerals, vitamins, hormones, and really give you a big picture on what is going on inside your body at that time. If you're in Canada, they come they to your house, they do the test for you. That's where I am. States, the same thing. Or you can also go to a lab and get it done as well. And they also have a biological age test that is a calculation based off of your results, and that's called inner age. This is really fascinating. Mine is usually about 10 years younger than I actually am. So I'm always really proud of that when I see that result. But what's really cool is recently Inside Tracker has made great strides and they've actually added new biomarkers to their ultimate test. So they've added things like APOB this year and they've which is critical for like heart health. And they've also added three hormone markers, which is really important for aging as well as women's health. And I've spoken about that before. So they test like progesterone, estradiol, and your thyroid as well. And so now they've added something new again, which is insulin, which is the key biomarker for sustained energy and an early warning for several chronic diseases. So everyone knows how important insulin is and glucose. So it's honestly so helpful to be able to add this in to this test. I really suggest if you're dealing with symptoms or some sort of health issue, but you don't really know what's going on, 
you need to get data on yourself to make sense of it. So I really suggest doing something like this. You can order the ultimate test. If you use my discount code, you get 20% off, which is actually a lot because it makes a big difference when you're getting something done like this. I will link it in the show notes for you. It's also on my website on biohackingbrittany.com. And that is Inside Tracker. And my discount code is biohackingbrittany in all capitals. Feel free to use it, get tested. And honestly, if you have any questions about your results, they have an app that helps you and gives you a ton of resources and recommendations based off of your personal results. So super helpful as well. That's Inside Tracker, and it is linked in the show notes and on my website. Yeah, I love everything that you said, and I agree with you. I think it's just so much more encouraging to think like, yes, the ovaries can produce new eggs. You're not like stuck with this certain amount that you're born with, and that's that. And like you said, like especially for women who are struggling or having issues or any or like anything like that. Like I think it is just. It's, it is so interesting. And I'm so curious in the next five, 10 years and beyond what information and research is going to come out that talks about this, that says like, yeah, there's actually proof that we can make new eggs and it happens via X, Y, and Z. And this is how we can almost like stimulate it. I don't know if that would be a good thing or a bad thing. I just think it would be very interesting to see if we could figure that out. <laughs> I think it would be a great thing. I'd love to see it. I hope the research actually goes in that direction because the research I'm seeing is really going in a different direction, which is more like, how can we with biotech create embryos in a lab? And how can we do all of these things that really you know, scare me a little bit? But hopefully that's the research that we start to see more and more. Yeah. I, that doesn't surprise me that that's what you're seeing, unfortunately. Yeah. Definitely mixed feelings about that as well. But To the egg quality, what we were previously talking about, obviously there are things that we can do to help with egg quality and also just like help with the environment of the uterus and the womb in general. So what are your like, you can either tell us like your basic recommendations or you can tell us like maybe things that not a lot of people know that you recommend that really can help with this type of thing. Yeah, so when we are, I think so, some of it that we need to understand is some of it is age-related. What we are seeing through research is that at certain ages, certain nutrients are more valuable to improve egg quality. And at other ages, other nutrients are more helpful, which is interesting to me, but that's just what we're seeing. What we're trying to impact first and foremost is we're trying to impact mitochondrial function and impact the egg at a cellular level. And so to to do that, we do need certain nutrients. One thing I should say as we're talking about ovarian reserve and an egg quality is a nutrient that's often overlooked is going to be vitamin D. Vitamin D is a key nutrient for every cell and your ovarian cells are no different in this situation. And what we have seen is that there is a correlation between AMH and vitamin D, and that when vitamin D levels are low, and we also observe that AMH levels are low, that often, not always, but often, if we increase or are able to increase our vitamin D levels, that we will also see a correlated increase with AMH. So that's nice to see. And that's something that all of us can easily put in, especially those of us who live in colder climates and don't you know, don't have access to the same quality of sunlight exposure, I would say definitely supplementing with vitamin D is something that we can all do. Other nutrients that are going to be valuable here are going to be CoQ10, 
coenzyme Q10 has clearly been shown to improve egg, egg quality and can Im- Im- impact the mitochondrial function of these cells. And then I do like to incorporate other antioxidants like resveratrol into that mix as well with some nice, we, the, the research has been positive in that regard as well. Something that's been, that you might hear often is incorporating ionisetol or myoionisetol for egg quality. Um, I find that's better in younger women, that older women, unless they need it for other purposes like regulating their blood sugar, don't get the same benefit from it. And then for older women, one thing, small research on it, but something that I am incorporating is NMN, which is a precursor to NAD. And that has shown in older women in moderate dosages to be beneficial as well. So it's just trying to understand where individuals are at and really diving deeper into their lab work to get a better understanding for what we want to incorporate and why. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. So when you say younger and older in your practice, like w- what ages does that mean? Yeah, I think that line is somewhere between 38 and 40. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually have, I'm sure you know, the company needed yeah. The prenatal, you know, sure. company. And I have their, they have two products that are really created for like egg quality and egg support. So I'm going to read you the, the ingredients. So this one is called egg support and it says for preconception and general health, it's got like antioxidants in it. So it's got alpha lipoic acid, PQQ, acetyl L-carnitine, and then L-carnitine and then green tea leaf extract. And then the other one, oh, sorry, and go ahead. Also for, no, go ahead. For Also for women, the other one? Yeah. So the other one I have as well, well, my husband's on the men's one I can also grab, but the other one I have as well is a CoQ10 one. And this is, again, it's their like preconception line and it's got just the CoQ10 in it, but it's the ubiquinol one. And it's about 400 milligrams per day is the recommendation. Yeah, that's great. I like to be somewhere between, depending on the brand and the quality of the CoQ10, anywhere between 200 and 400 is fine. Some take more, but it just depends. The ALA, 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 excuse me, and PQQ in the original, in the first formula, I think are really what are impacting egg quality there. I, I use those often in, in my recommendations as well. And I, I do like it. And the PQQ with the CoQ10 helped to enhance it. So that's nice. That's a nice addition there. I have actually recently saw the male product that they have, the sperm product. So I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with it. I like that one a little bit more than I like the egg formula that they make. Oh, really? You like the sperm formula better than the egg formula? I do. I think it's more interesting and more innovative. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I looked at it briefly. I think it's like, like adaptogens, probiotics and prebiotics, and maybe there's some other herbs in there. I don't remember exactly yeah, what's on are, it. Yeah. And some other anti- antioxidants. It's a, to me, it's a, it's an interesting and cool formula, the way they put it together. And I, I do, I like what they did. I, I'm familiar with the brand and those who actually help formulate the products. There. Nice. Yeah. I Needed is the company that I recommend to like my clients and my audience if they're in doing any of this type of work, just because it seems like they are the best on the market, even though they're quite expensive. Like I still 
think that it's worth it at the end of the day for this type of thing. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good company. What I will say to the price point piece is good supplements are not inexpensive, unfortunately. To get good nutrients in there at the proper dosaging and to have it formulated properly, you know, you're not finding it at CVS for $5. I know. Yeah, I know. When I, I have a few family members who have gone on prenatals and they're like the prenatals that you buy at a CVS, like equivalent to Canada. And I just like, I cringe when I see it and I don't want to say anything because it's like unsolicited advice type of vibe, you know, but <laughs> right. I just like a part of me dies inside when it's like Jameson or something. And I'm like, oh my, but then yeah, they're better off just saving their money. Yeah. But then some people argue, like, I got pregnant right away. Like, why do I even need to take any of this? You know, like it was easy for us. Like I've had no cycle issues. So why do I even need to do a preconception cleanse for the next kid or anything like that? And so it's kind of hard to even argue with them when it appears that they've really had no concerns. Like, what would you say to somebody like that? Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, it's hard to convince someone when they have that experience and situation. What I would say is, is you're not doing this necessarily at this point when it's easy for you so that you can get pregnant. You're doing this to change your children's health. You're doing this to improve their health and their children's health. The thing that we miss a lot in this current culture and environment is that we're not thinking generationally, we're thinking now. And the reality is, is that the health of your body today and the health of your body when you are carrying that baby is 100% going to impact their health and their lives and the children that they create, so your grandchildren and beyond. So if we're not doing it, if you don't need to do these sorts of things and take good quality supplements and take care of yourself and do a detox or whatever, or whatever else to get pregnant, then the reason really should be so that your children are as healthy as they can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a very good reason. When you have clients who come to you who are kind of at the stage that I'm at, who are not even trying yet, and say they do some sort of cleanse or whatever program that you might put them on, how does it compare to the people who don't do that? What benefit do you see in your practice for people who are super proactive? Oh, I mean, I see first and foremost, I think their health is, is just better. It's hard for me to quantify it unless I have two examples to show you. But basically to say like their health overall is just going to be much better. They live better lives and are happier individuals is what I find. And a hundred percent it's easier, typically, I can't say always, but typically easier for them to conceive. Yeah. And do you see any difference like postpartum, like recovery from mom type of thing? Oh, yeah. And then they have an easier pregnancy. They have an easier postpartum recovery. They're just overall, the whole experience is just going to be much better. Hello, it's Brittany here, and I've got something life-changing to share with you. Sleep is crucial for our productivity, well-being, and beauty, right? No one wants to wake up with dehydration lines and dark circles. That has definitely happened to me. Picture this, you wake up feeling refreshed, your skin is glowing, yes, get it, and those pesky dehydration lines and dark circles, they're nowhere in sight. Sounds like a dream, right? 
Well, I'm here to tell you that it's not only possible, but it's also within your reach. I used to struggle with falling asleep. There was a time when getting a good night's sleep felt like chasing unicorns, tossing and turning, waking up multiple times and feeling like a zombie the next day. Seriously, that happened to me for a long time until about 2019, 2020, when I started biohacking my sleep. But then recently it started happening again, and I actually uncovered the ultimate secret that's really been helping me, and that is magnesium breakthrough. It has completely transformed my sleep and got me sleeping so good again. So what's important to know is that not all magnesium supplements are created equal, so don't waste your time with over-the-counter options. Magnesium Breakthrough is the real deal. It combines seven different forms of magnesium in a single capsule, giving you the full-spectrum magnesium experience you need for optimal results. So here's my nightly routine that I've been doing. I take two capsules of magnesium breakthrough with water about an hour before bed. The effects are remarkable. I drift off faster and enjoy deeper, more rejuvenating sleep. And then when the morning comes, I wake up feeling refreshed, energized, and ready to conquer the day. And I wake up at 5 a.m., so I'm not messing around, okay? I need my good sleep. So say goodbye to restless nights and tired mornings and unlock your best sleep with Magnesium Breakthrough. Ready for my offer? Visit magbreakthrough.com slash biohackingbritney and enter the code biohackingbritney for a discount. We love discounts. Remember, this offer is only available on this special website. So if you go to Bioptimizer's normal website, it's not going to happen. It's not there. So don't let sleepless nights hold you back any longer. That's magbreakthrough.com breakthrough.com slash biohacking Brittany. Use my discount code biohacking Brittany to save and let me know how your sleep is going. That's what I was thinking. And when I talk to people about it is that's kind of what I like when I've read the books and that's kind of the narrative of like, it's not just about getting pregnant. It's having pregnancy to full term, also having a healthier birth and recovery period, breastfeeding, postpartum. It goes beyond just like the actual conception of the kid. It's really playing it like long-term, right? It's really just thinking long-term about it. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. Do you find that, because you've been in practice for about 20 years now, do you find that it's more like more couples are coming in and men are more open to doing these types of things maybe than it was 10, 20 years ago? I will. Yeah. So I think that more couples are starting to seek out help a little bit sooner. I would still like for it to be sooner than that, but that's happening. And definitely men are more involved than they ever used to be. And they're being more proactive. It's still disappointing and surprising when I hear the opposite, which I hear, unfortunately, still very frequently. But I do see a slight shift. And I do. Hopefully some of it is from the news coverage that's, you know, that's happened over the last year or two about male fertility declining and, you know, and what's happening to it because we are seeing that. And so hopefully they're being more proactive as a result. Yeah, I agree with you for that, for sure. Let's talk about male fertility for a second here, because I I just find it so interesting. So my understanding is that sperm takes about 72 days to mature, but then I've also heard someone say it could be faster about 40 days. So what is like the actual science and research that you've seen on that? It's about 90 to hundred. Oh my gosh. So, so different. <laughs> okay. So we're, t- well, I mean, we're talking about a couple of different things, but spermatogenesis is about, 
you know, about 90 days roughly. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, so men are producing new sperm every 24 hours. But what we're talking about is the quality of that sperm. So we're trying to impact the quality of that sperm. And that ta- that's what we're talking about right now, which takes longer than that. Now, I have seen a lot of things change faster, but I don't like to, it's easier for me to tell somebody, let's give it, you know, three months. And if it happens sooner, then awesome. But if I tell someone, let's give it six weeks and then it doesn't happen, you know, what's the motivation there for them to continue to go on? So I'd rather give them a longer time frame, And that's really what the science shows anyway, even though we can see improvements in a shorter time frame. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause a, a lot of like, yeah, a lot of things that I've read have talked about like this 90 day, 120 day cleanse and detox and kind of just cleaning up your act for minimum that amount, actually. Like there's some practitioners out there who like six months, who like a year before you start trying, which I guess it kind of depends what you're going into it with. But yeah, I think a minimum is like 90 to 120 days. That that does make sense. What's your stance on like EMFs and radiation and how that might impact sperm and fertility for men? So sperm are really sensitive and they are volatile. They're impacted really easily by heat and all sorts of things. And I I do think that EMFs fall into that. So I'm always asking men, don't put the laptop on your computer. Take the phone out of your pocket as much as possible. Don't let it live in your pocket unless you need to. We can get EMF protective phone cases when necessary. These are all good preventative measures to take and something that I think we all need to really consider. We don't recognize how impactful all the new technology is in a negative way. We, we, we tend to just think of it in positively, but I have, living in San Diego, we have a lot of tech in the city and I have a couple who's been seeing me locally and he's in I can't remember his exact position, but he said to me, we, his sperm were, were not great and his semen analysis didn't look good. So we've been on this huge plan to support him. And he's been awesome about really sticking to it. And we got, we took a result. We did a semen analysis and his results looked great. And then he had a lot of work to do at the office and he was around a ton of EMFs and computers and routers and all sorts of stuff. And then I don't remember the time frame, but it was a short time frame from the first one. He went back in to do another semen analysis and his numbers were terrible again. And so the only thing that we think he did differently was that. I can't say that that doesn't impact things. I absolutely think it does. Now, do all of these things impact everybody? Probably not in the same way for everybody. But if we want to do everything we can to manage our sperm, to take care of them and have good uh, sperm health, then yeah, these are simple things that we can do. Keep your phone away from you. Keep your computer off your lap. Protect your crown jewels, so to speak, (laughs) and take care of them, right? You know, we should be proactive about that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's such little switches and updates that you can do that can make a big difference. Like, turning your Wi-Fi off at night, not having your phones in the bedroom, just honestly, little things like that, that can really, really make a difference for people. And that's kind of like what we do, but we are 
in the bottom of a apartment building. And so it's good because we're kind of grounded. We're literally on the ground, like we're not higher up, but it's also hard because I'm like, even if I turn my Wi-Fi router off, like I'm in an apartment building, like I'm surrounded by cellular towers and Wi-Fi. Like, and so there's only so much that you can really do. Obviously I'd love to live in the country at one point, but maybe we're not there yet. So I don't know. It's hard sometimes, you know? Yeah. Look, we can only do so much. And I always tell everybody, we just strive to be better the next day and manage what we can manage, right? We can't beat ourselves up for not being able to do all these things. No one's perfect in how they do these things, whether it's diet or EMFs or whatever it might be. We could only do our little part, but that little part makes a difference, right? Like it's not just because you can't be perfect doesn't mean you don't do anything. Um, like if that was the case, then you wouldn't do much in your building because you were impacted by all these individuals around you. But you know, that's, we just can't control what we can control. So exactly. What do you think about EMFs during pregnancy? Like, and do you recommend or not recommend that women fly like during when they're pregnant or what do you think? I think it impacts us just the same, although we have a, you know, a baby growing in us so that we have to account for. I don't like to do any unnecessary travel is what I would say, but that all just depends. And I do think the distance, the length of time, all of those make a big difference. So like, I don't like long travel, but I do know a lot of people that travel for fertility treatments and that was the only way for them to get pregnant. So I'm not going to deter them from doing that, but we want to just be met. We just want to manage that as best as we can. So that's why I say unnecessary. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, yeah, it's so hard because again, like you want to live our lives. (laughs) You got to live your life. Exactly. Right. Like my one girlfriend, she's pregnant for the first time and they're, they're planning a baby moon. And so we're in Vancouver in Canada and she wants to go to Hawaii and they want to go to Hawaii in like November and she's due in February. And I was like, oh, that's so fun. But in my head, I'm like, you're just flying to Hawaii. Like, yeah, it's going to help with stress. Sure. But like, (laughs) does does the week off on the beach counteract the EMF and radiation and potential stress that comes from traveling? I I don't know. How about Whistler or Vancouver Island? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or like drive down to California, you know, it's right there. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I do love Vancouver. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. It's, and I'm sure, I don't know if you find this, but when you know a lot about health and your friends don't, and they make certain decisions and you just watch it, it's just like, and you don't say anything because it's not your place, you know? Like I don't see. Yeah. I don't say. I drive, I drop subtle hints here and there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It's subtle hints with my husband. I'm super blunt and like, super like, nope, that's not going to fly. Like you can't do that type of thing. But with friends, it's just a little bit more, it's a little different. Yeah, that's really funny and interesting. So, I mean, out of everything that you've done and like seen for both women and men, what do you think moves the needle the most in terms of having a healthy baby and birth and success with that? Well, I would say first and foremost, our mindset when it comes to conception. I mean, so much about what couples are told is always so negative and everything is about you can't you won't it's you know it's just the wording that they've been told so mindset and being able to retrain our mind 
to restore belief in yourself and hope that you can get pregnant, I think is huge. And then really, we're all looking for these magic pills and the new technology that's going to do this, that, or the other. The reality is, is we all need to take responsibility for the basics in our life. We need to eat well. We need to sleep well, which is highly overlooked. We need to exercise. We need to take care of ourselves, manage our stress. We need to get out in nature. If we just did the basics well, and hopefully I'd like to say like our great-grandparents did when there wasn't as much technology around, I think we'd be in a much better place. So I think that moves the needle the most. And not only does that move the needle, but I think that helps to keep and maintain the progress that we've achieved. I often find we still need more, you know, whether it's supplements or whatever it might be, but that foundational base without it, we can't maintain the progress that we're going to achieve or can achieve. And so I really think that that is so, so important when it comes to fertility, but really any health condition. Yeah, no, I I love that. I think you're so right. There's so much fear mongering on social media about all of this, like especially TikTok. I don't know if you're on TikTok, but um, I, <laughs> I see so many women and moms being like, I wish I did this and this would happen at my pregnancy and my birth. And there's so much fear that's given to women who are going to start that journey or are trying to get pregnant. And it's hard sometimes. And really, you just need to distance yourself from it because it gets into your head that, oh, most women have a really hard birth. Okay. That means that I'm going to have hard birth too. And like, what do I do? And now I'm scared of when I'm going to get give birth and I don't feel empowered or connected to my body. And it's like, how do we kind of reduce the noise around us and tune into ourselves? And it's just very difficult sometimes. Yeah, it is. And I agree with you. There's plenty of negativity in this world and plenty of negativity about anything we want to find. If you're, if that's what you're seeing on your social media feed, you need a new feed or you need to get off of it. You just need to avoid those things and really focus on the things you can control. And we only make it far in life with positive influences. So that's really where we should be focusing. Yeah, absolutely. Like even with, you know, having mild PCOS, like from the beginning of when that started in 2020, there was like fear right away. What if I can't get pregnant? What if this, this, and this happens? And you see, again, like just so much information out there about the struggle that it can be if you have PCOS or endometriosis, or if you're older than 35, like all of these different things about how hard it can be. But it's like, exactly like you said, like, that's not the mindset that's going to get you pregnant. The mindset that's going to get you pregnant is like, I am connected to my body. We can do this. Like, I believe in myself. Yeah, it it absolutely is. And for those listening who have PCOS, I want you to hear and know that 80 to 90% of women with PCOS can and should get pregnant naturally. That's what I see and believe. So we don't have to buy into all the negative talk and rhetoric about, you know, it's not going to happen or you need X, Y, and Z to do it. Do you think that PCOS can be reversed? I think it could be reversed to a place where you can manage it nicely and easily. And maybe for some, it totally can be com- completely reversed. I have seen some cases of that. What I usually see is that we've got to manage it to some degree. The biggest factor that I find that doesn't allow us to totally get away from it is stress. That I find stress is a 
huge trigger for PCOS. And that's typically why I see women who reach back out to me when everything's been regulated. It's because stress has kind of popped up and things have just shifted dramatically. Yeah. I honestly think stress is such a big factor with everything. Like even with like, even with sperm, even with men's fertility, like men who, again, it's just kind of our society right now is like, especially in North America is like overworking and people are working way more than 40 hours a week now. And they're outside less, they're taking less vacations. There's, there's just less, almost like fun. And you kind of need that to balance out how stressful uh, work can be for a lot of people. Stress makes everything worse. I tell everybody that. And we, we there's hundreds of thousands of research studies to show that for any condition. So the more we can, for lack of a better word, manage that better, but really it's, it's unplugging more is really what it is, is going to allow us to manage that better and, and kind of disconnecting from it. Do you think that's like the best stress recommendation you have is just like unplug and be in nature more? Is that like the number one thing you would say? It's my favorite thing to do. Look, we, can all, <laughs> we can all say this whole thing about stress management, and I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but what that means is it, when we use that term, it means that we're adding something else onto our plate to help manage the stress. Right? Like, oh, to manage your stress, you've got to do yoga or you've got to meditate. It's one more thing I have to do. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with any of those things, but I'm not looking to do more. I'm looking to do less. So for me, it is about unplugging and getting out into nature as much as we can to help our body just recalibrate. No, I completely agree with you. Even if I'm like, I will take my computer and work outside on my patio or on my grass. And even that, like I'm still working, but that switch of being out in nature, fresh air on the grass, like just even that small little thing makes me feel better and like, feel like I can actually think clearly. (laughs) For sure it does. Absolutely. I can't do that right now in San Diego. It's a little too hot, but yeah, (laughs) but normally, absolutely. Yeah, it it is really hot here right now as well. But I try to get outside as much as we can because we get so much rain that in the winter, it's just miserable sometimes. So yeah, try to embrace the, the summer. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time and for coming on my podcast. This was awesome. If people want to connect with you, how can they do that? So my website's easy, marksklar.com, but my, I'm on the social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and a little bit on TikTok. But my favorite way, which you mentioned earlier, is my YouTube channel, Fertility TV. Always putting out new content and new videos for everybody. So I think that's the best resource for everybody. Amazing. I will definitely check that out. And I will put that in the link in the show notes. I actually want to see if you have any videos on mild PCOS, because I'd be interested to see what you're what you say in your recommendations. Yeah, I, ha- I do have videos on PCOS. I can't remember if it's specifically on that, but I do talk about the variations. Oh, cool. Nice. Yeah. Cause not a lot of people do. So I will definitely go and watch that. Thank you so much. This was great. And I can't wait for my audience to connect with you. Thanks so much, Brittany. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of biohacking with Brittany. If you're interested in finding the show notes or the sponsors for this episode, you can do so on my website, which is biohackingbrittany.com. 
Remember to follow me on Instagram where I'm most active. My handle is at biohackingbrittany. And if you're interested in working together and you want to email me directly, you can do that. My email is info at biohackingbrittany.com. And I look forward to hearing from you and having you tune in next week.